He's some sort of free-thinking anarchist. I'd like to hear one single on satellite radio, because you can't get on regular radio. White youth must choose sides now. We must either fight on the side of the oppressed, or be on the side of the oppressor. Yeah, clean up this stinkhole! Do you think the Bill of Rights is a good thing, or a bad thing? Um... Take your time, dear. No, 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 that's... Shut up! You had your 35 minutes. Shut up. Yeah, yeah, what is this? The uh, Republican fundraiser? Be quiet? We have no right to be quiet. I heartily endorse this event or product. Good morning. You are in tune to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, KUCI.org on the internet. Welcome to Justice or Just Us, the program that examines law, equality, public policy, and social activism. Glad to be with you on this uh, Thursday, March 20, March, wow, Thursday, May 22nd, uh, 2008, where today we're going to take a look at the life of uh, Dorothy Day, co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. Uh, There's a new doc documentary titled Dorothy Day, Don't Call Me a Saint, and it tells the story of the New York writer and social reformer whom the Vatican is considering for canonization, but Dorothy is no ordinary saint. Caught up in the bohemian whirl of 1917 Greenwich Village, Dorothy wrote for radical papers associated with known communists, attempted suicide, had an illegal abortion. The birth of her only child led to her religious conversion. The film begins at the height of the Depression with Dorothy meeting the French peasant philosopher Peter Marin. Together they created the Catholic Worker, a peace and justice movement that persists to this day in hospitality houses and soup kitchens around the world. Uh, Dorothy was shot at by the KKK. There were arrests for public protests and her movement raised the ire of both church and state. Uh, there are so many powerful images in the uh, documentary, Don't Call Me a Saint. And coming up in just a few minutes, we will speak with the writer and director of the documentary, Claudia Larson, who will be uh, joining us by phone from her home in uh, Los Angeles, just north of here. So Dorothy Day, the Catholic worker, Don't Call Me a Saint, coming up on today's Justice or Just Us. So definitely stick around. It's going to be a great program. She was long and lean and lanky. And she was very talented and knew it, and very beautiful and knew it. And I never got the sense that she was ashamed of any of her gifts. Dorothy's work arose from the fact that she sacrificed the love of her life if she embraced the Catholic faith, he'd have nothing more to do with her. Dorothy Day had a radical analysis of the economics of society and what ought to be done about it. She was used to working to change the world, to make a difference. There was no separation between life of prayer and the ordinary activities of everyday life. And so there was a spiritual, contemplative dimension to all those things, as much as there was to picketing at the White House or sitting in jail. Nonviolence makes the world safe for conflict. 
You can have conflict, but you don't go to the point of, of killing. And that was what Dorothy taught. She had an enormous ability to enter other people's lives, to experience what they experienced, and to come out of it with a great longing that life shouldn't be so hard for so many people. If your brother is hungry, you feed him. You don't meet him at the door and say, go be thou filled. You sit him down and feed him. I always considered that the Catholic worker was really Dorothy's own home. And she had her guests, no matter how many. Dorothy Day has been the kind of figure that has been sort of laying in the background whose perhaps ideas were so advanced that they were not able to be recognized at the moment as perhaps being divinely inspired. is the trailer for the uh, the new documentary, Dorothy Day, Don't Call Me a Saint. And it tells the story of the New York writer and social reformer whom the Vatican is considering for canonization. But Dorothy is no ordinary saint. Uh, as we talked about before, Dorothy Day uh, wrote for radical papers associated with known communists, attempted suicide, had an illegal abortion, and the birth of her only child, led to her religious conversion. Uh, following the Depression, Dorothy met the French present philosopher Peter Marin, and together they created the Catholic Worker, a peace and justice movement that persists to this day through hospitality houses and soup kitchens, as well as activism that takes place around the world. Here to talk about this documentary is its writer, director, and producer, Claudia Larson. One fateful day 14 years ago, Dorothy Day's story landed in Claudia's lap. She got the wild idea that Dorothy should tell her own story in a documentary. The only problem was Claudia was no filmmaker. Nonetheless, there was this irresistible force pushing her forward, and so she began. Claudia learned little by little, ultimately producing Dorothy Day, Don't Call Me a Saint. And uh, Claudia joins us here on KUCI. Good morning, Claudia. Good morning, Jared. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for getting up this early and for uh, for a wonderful documentary. Congratulations well, on it. Thank you so much. So let's uh, let's go back 14 years ago. Uh, you know, 14 years in the making. So how did you first decide to make a film about Dorothy Day? Well, actually. Um it's, this is the challenge. I didn't decide. I, uh, she fell in my lap. I didn't set out to do a documentary. I discovered her story, um, and she just took over my life and kind of made me do it. And I had to learn, like, like you had said, that uh, little by little, and one thing led to another, and I met, started meeting her friends. I, went, I discovered the Catholic worker in Los Angeles, and from there I, I met her archivist, 
Phil Runkle out at um, uh, Marquette University, and he runs the Dorothy Day Archive, and and he had suggested some books and and told me about the 60th anniversary at the time. This is back in '93 that was going to take place at the New York House, and I went back to New York where I had been living, although I had never met Dorothy, never even heard of her before. So um, it was a little by little affair. I it, it it's almost. Um, I almost can't even explain what happened to me since, as you know, I wasn't a filmmaker, but she's very persistent. And, and as one of her friends said, once, once Dorothy gets into your life, you're never quite the same. And, and she got into my life and took over it. <laughs> well, she obviously must be a, a, a very, uh, must have been a very dynamic person and a, a, a personality that, that really, as you said, is uh, inspirational. So for listeners who may have only heard the name Dorothy Day in passing, uh, in a nutshell, who was Dorothy Day, what is the Catholic worker, and how did you first learn of her? Well, I first learned of her through a little story written by a parish priest in New Jersey. And um, I, like I said, I, it just took, took over my life, and little by little it all came, came together. And this movement that she and, as you said, Peter Morin began during the, um, the, the height of the Depression in 1933 was also that sort of little seed that started at her actually kitchen table. She was a writer, so the two of them thought that a paper would would you know speak to the people's concerns at the time, and people showed up at, to help on the paper, and there was always a pot of stew on the stove and a cup of coffee, and people started sleeping on her kitchen floor, and one thing led to another, and she ended up starting you know. Uh, houses of hospitality because of the need. It was really serving the need of the people at the time, and that was her movement to to address the the needs of people in the moment and not wait for church and state to intervene. So, what began as kind of a uh, a radical progressive leftist uh, newspaper, kind of by accident, became this house of hospitality and soup kitchen. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and the story goes that there was uh, two young girls that had come to look, because I had heard, you know, on the street, everyone heard that there was food to be had and a roof over their head, if possible, and two ladies showed up one night, and Dorothy sadly had to turn them away because there was no room anywhere, and um, oh, the next night, one gal came back, and Dorothy asked where her companion was, and the woman, out of despair, threw herself under a subway train, and that galvanized Dorothy to to take the last few bucks she had in her purse, and there were a lot of vacant apartments at the time because it was the Depression and people were thrown out onto the streets, and for $5 she got an apartment down the street, and uh, people started just coming. And and in the last, the last page of her autobiography, she said... Uh, it was simple as all that. You know, we were sitting around talking, and the movement just sort of began. We're speaking with Claudia Larson. She is the uh, writer, director, producer of a new documentary, Dorothy Day, Don't Call Me a Saint. And we'll talk a little bit more specifically about the film in a couple minutes. But, you know, it's it's so interesting when uh, when one hears that story because you, you do, f- you know, feature that uh, that anecdote in in the documentary that something as as simple as someone just uh, taking five dollars and and uh, putting it down on the table can start 
a movement that uh, decades later in 2008 spans not only the country but the globe. Exactly. And this year, May, May 1st, May Day, uh, was the 75th anniversary of the movement. And it is larger today than it was when Dorothy was alive. Mm. And, and, and I, it's in the spirit of the Gospels. You know, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, bury the dead. It's in the moment. Uh, she would say, just begin. Just, you know, stay in the moment and do what you can, you know, what's at hand. Now, this is a program uh, about activism, and I know that we've spoken, you know, separately, and, and you're not necessarily an activist, per se, or, or a Catholic worker, or so forth, but I think your documentary does a good job of, um, uh, of talking about this idea of soup kitchens and, and the hospitality houses uh, as uh, a form of direct action for Dorothy. Could you explain that a bit? Well, um... Well, you know, the direct action is, again, living in the moment. You, and to live in such a way that you notice that someone next to you is in need. Uh, you don't wait to set up a committee. You don't wait for church or state to intercede. And you just take what you have and work with it. It was her, you know, another part of her philosophy, philosophy was just to detach from outcomes. You begin in earnest, and that's the best you can do, and, and start. Start something. Do something. Speak out. Uh, if someone's hungry, you feed them. If you know, they ask for your coat, you give them your shoes as well. And, and that's, that's, a hard, that's, that's, that's hard because it takes a lot of um, energy and effort to step out of yourself and give to others and be present for others. And it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, direct action is, uh, you know, in the words of uh, Peter Kropotkin, who was the Russian anarchist, you know, act for yourself. Don't wait for some large bureaucratic government agency to take care of, of homelessness on its own because often it's the large government bureaucracy that's responsible for homelessness to begin with. Right. Well, well Dorothy, Dorothy's daughter, Tamar, who just recently passed away, um, she she said that, that the reason that the the movement is you know still survives is because there was no um, funds and there was no hierarchy to abscond with the funds and there was no government involvement to shut it down at will. So it just was an organic thing. They all live in voluntary poverty and they do what what's at hand. And it seems to be um, a success story, really, when you think about it. That that they they're not depend they you know they beg obviously, and they get their food and they get their um, you know what their needs met by people being generous to them as well. So it um, it's a very organic, simple way of looking at um, service to, to people. And today, uh, reading from the Catholic Worker Movement website, there are over 185 Catholic Worker communities. Uh, again, the hospitality uh, homes are places for the homeless, the exiled, the hungry. Uh, you mentioned prisoners. Uh, certainly the, the Los Angeles Catholic Worker House, uh, with which I'm affiliated, has uh, reached out to uh, people wrongly convicted and uh, have worked on their behalf as well as on a whole host of other issues. They have... Uh, 
the Catholic Worker Movement runs soup kitchens, as is uh, clearly shown in the documentary. And I, I think it's funny that they, someone had heard that this uh, the small little paper titled The Catholic Worker, they had a hot pot of coffee uh, on, and so people just started lining up asking for a cup of coffee. And right. those are kind of the, the origins of this concept. And now right. in, uh, in 2008, every uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and, and Saturday mornings, the uh, Los Angeles chapter runs the the soup kitchen in uh on skid row so it's it's really a, a an amazing testament to uh or testimony to what uh you know one little seed i think the the quote that you use to to open the epigram of the the, the movie is uh we could throw our pebble in the pond and be confident that it's ever widening circle will reach around the world and, and, and it has it has her movement is all around amsterdam Mexico, Canada, across the United States. It, it's really it's, 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 uh, uh, a phenomenon that it, you can't really explain or put your finger on, but it, it works. Maybe because it's so simple. It's just very simple. We're speaking with Claudia Larson. She is the director of Don't Call Me a Saint. It's a documentary about the life of uh, Dorothy Day. And uh, before we get into some of the specifics about how you researched it and decided what to cover and so forth, um, one question that, that I had, which I don't know if it was directly addressed in, uh, in the documentary, but how did she, how did she get the, uh, the money or the tools to, you mentioned the, the initial, the last $5 that she had in her pocket, but, uh, given that the soup kitchen was running at the height of the depression, um, did, did most of the money for the, the materials come from the sale of the newspaper? Yes, and her writing. She wrote for other periodicals, and she, you know, she wrote books. And uh, she went out uh, and begged, and went you know, on speaking engagements. And you know, people would pass the hat, and she would help a, a house in a new community. And it, it was a, you know, that's what she did. She, she, um, it was really her home. And she, as one interviewee says, that no matter how many guests she had. Uh, and they fed hundreds and thousands during a week, and um, these people were her guests. Hmm. Let's look specifically at the uh, the film. I don't know if if you prefer that I refer to it as a film or a documentary, because I think your uh, some of your press kits mention that you know you you don't cover her entire life. Um, you've you've thought specifically about what aspects she wanted to cover, and so in that sense, it's it's not necessarily. Uh, a documentary of sorts. How do you describe the film? Well, it, either or, but the, the uh, again, 14, 15 years of research materials, I had a lot to choose from, and that was, you know, to distill it down to 55 minutes was um, difficult at best. And But what I had decided to do, because I'm, you know, I look at things rather simply, and I what drew me to Dorothy was her personal endeavor. So I thought to... One, keep it short so people could, uh, well, actually I was geared towards students so they could see it in a classroom setting, but I thought if I introduced Dorothy first as a human being, then these big ideas that, which I am now working on part two because there were so many interviews that didn't even get into the film, and I would want them to be in their entirety because it's really an oral history as well since several of my interviews 
interviewees have since gone to heaven. So these interviews will never happen again, and they have fabulous stories to tell. But I could these big ideas couldn't just be slammed into a film. So I thought I would let Dorothy, you know, um, evolve as a human being and her her struggles, her journeys, the human endeavor. And then now in part two, we'll support. Um, and fill in perhaps the gaps if there are any. I'm, perhaps there are not any, but there's still more to tell because, again, you know, her life, um, her activism, you know, started when she was 14 years old up until she died at, you know, at age 80, so, 83, whenever, I think it was 83. So how did you go about uh, researching this? You know, it's, uh, there, it must have been very, very, take us through the process. What was your methodology? I didn't have one. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and I do things kind of backwards. You're supposed to have, you know, you're supposed to raise money, have an idea, raise the funds, and and have a script, have a budget, and it didn't it didn't work that way at all. It just evolved organically. Again, going to Marquette, Phil Runkel is an Einstein, and there was you know, the materials were there, and this is before I even had a computer, so I did things the old-fashioned way and did wrote everything down by hand and and then you know found people and and of course there's hundreds of people that are willing to talk about Dorothy but I had to you know I don't know the gods were with me and I found a select few and went to different cities to interview them and see their worker houses and and people gave me materials Tamar Dorothy's daughter gave me lovely letters and photographs and and um, then I discovered other photographers there's there's artists in the paper it's a beautifully illustrated paper and so I, you know, made selections of certain elements and images that would fit Dorothy telling her own story, which she does. Uh, every word in it is, uh, in the voiceover, is something that Dorothy had said and or had written. So it's really Dorothy and her friends and her daughter telling her own tale, which was, for whatever reason, that was my intention, that Dorothy should have a chance to tell her own story before someone else makes a, you know, a film, uh, you know, an adaptation of her life, at least she had a shot at telling her own story first. And the early copies of the Catholic Worker newspaper, how did you uh, track those down? From the archive. Phil wow. Runkel, Marquette University. You know, there's a, there's a, great, uh, a great quote, I don't remember which of the interviewees had mentioned this in the, the film, but uh, where you show kind of a, a, a montage of some of the early Catholic Worker newspapers and then cut to a, uh, an interviewee who says, you know, it, any of these newspapers could be you know, put out on the streets today and the topics are, are almost identical. Right. And, and I think that that really does show the, the importance of the film and of, uh, you, you know, you mentioned students, uh, students learning about Dorothy Day. It's so interesting that uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've had you know my copy of The Long Loneliness, her her autobiography, sitting on my uh, the, the couch, the little love seat in my office, and then I've had uh, a copy of the the L.A. Catholic Workers Agitator, and then the, the the DVD sitting there, and colleagues and friends keep coming through my office saying, "Oh, Dorothy Day, I." I don't know enough about her. I need, and I keep, you know, directing them to your, your website and so forth. But it's just, it's so interesting that, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit on on the phone, and and you, maybe you dodged the question then, but I'll see if I can raise it again. But it's, it's just so interesting that she has not taken flight as a, uh, a, a public figure. 
in the same way that someone like a Cesar Chavez did. And of course it's ironic because as, as your film points out, she was there side by side with Cesar Chavez and, and so many other important people. Do and that you, was her last uh, arrest. I think she was 75 at the time. Wow. Well, uh, one of the things that's so interesting about uh, the documentary, I remember when, when I first saw the, 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 the artwork, it's a picture of uh Dorothy Day, who I must say uh, is an incredibly was an incredibly beautiful woman, uh, smoking a, a cigarette. And for anyone who's a Freudian, you know, and, and remember, has taken a film studies class, you know, sometimes the uh, the woman with the cigarette could be a little bit uh, sensual or phallic or whatever. But what's interesting is that this is not the kind of uh, cover image that one would think of when they think of something called the Catholic Worker Movement. Obviously, the, the, it seems that was the choice of that kind of image of her uh, intentional? Yes, deliberate. Well, first of all, it's a great shot. And uh, I, I wanted her to be, of course, she quit. I want to make that um, clear that she quit smoking. But the, the image, I wanted it, well, and it goes with the title, Don't Call Me a Saint. I wanted her to be human. And a lot of images of Dorothy or of her as an older woman with the braid across her, the crown of her head. And, you know, she always had a somewhat of a stern look on her face, but I'm told she had a wonderful laugh and she had, you know, great sense of humor. And, but, you know, those images were kind of hard to find. And, and I wanted her to to be human, and what better way than an image um, that has her being just that. You know, she wasn't perfect, and she wanted to make that clear. She didn't want everyone to be like her. Not everyone had to live the Catholic worker life, but she certainly did set an example of how to do that, uh, and everyone took their own, took something from her, and that's the beauty of Dorothy. There's something there that someone can hang their hat on. It, not necessarily the whole aspect of Dorothy, the religious aspect or the activism aspect, but there's something there for everybody that uh, that she appeals to. And not that I want to deliberately appeal to smokers. That was not my intention. It was right. generally just the the image of a woman who... Uh, who was also, you know, did other things, and she did have a past, and she did live, and that's, I think, why people can relate to her, is that um, she knew what it was like uh, to be a young girl, to, you know, live amongst that bohemian uh, Greenwich Village, vital, you know, sitting around talking and drinking and, and having great ideas to improve the conditions of her, you know, fellow man, and and so she was a very vital and you said sensual early on, and and, that, and she was, you know, she she was married, she had a child, she had a, a, a great sense of aesthetics. She, you know, she she understood beauty. Uh, you mentioned Kropotkin. She she loved the classics. She she had a great sense of visual and understanding of people's plight. So she was very sensual in that in that regard. I want to remind listeners they're in tune to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, KUCI.org on the internet. This is Justice or Just Us. We're talking about documentary, Dorothy Day, Don't Call Me a Saint. We're speaking with the filmmaker, Claudia Larson. And uh, so she's being considered then, I should say, 
Dorothy Day is, though maybe you are too, who knows, <laughs> being considered for, uh, <laughs> for canonization. And uh, this seems like this would be something uh, that Dorothy would, would not want to, uh, to have, that she would not want to be uh, apotheosized, if I'm, if I'm getting the word right, that you know, she wouldn't want to be elevated to something higher than just an everyday person who, uh, who engages in that kind of direct action. Well, you're right. That, that higher place, was, she always took the, the lower place. You know, she was very humble. And so and in many respects, she wouldn't want that kind of attention. Um, she also would rather not have people spend their time and energy and uh, finances on organizing um, a group to, you know, to dissect her life and then deem her as a, you know, as a saint when, you know, many folks already, including myself, pray to her all the time and we, you know, don't necessarily need Rome to do that, but, or the Vatican, I should say, but, um, and I don't care one way or the other, but I, I know people in the movement, there are those that, um, take her for her word, uh, don't call me a saint. And part of it was because she felt, she would say, the, the rest of that statement is, I don't want to be dismissed so easily because when someone's referred to as a saint, it's like, oh, you can do that, you're a saint. Right. You know, I can't. But she, it was, hey, you know, we're all called to be saints, and I'm sure she was tired, and it's a lonely endeavor, and it was like, come and help me, mainly. Well, and the, the other thing which is so important is uh, the word movement in, uh, you know, the title, the Catholic Worker Movement. It's not the efforts of one individual. And history, uh, unfortunately, has done such a good job of marginalizing the, the collective aspect of uh, so many uh, progressive causes and so we think that it was simply rosa parks who one day you know right. had tired feet rather than the fact that there was this whole you know campaign working behind her to support her or that that martin luther king created the civil rights movement rather than the civil rights movement creating martin luther king right. and that's not to dismiss either the courage of rosa parks or martin luther king but in the same sense the Catholic Worker Movement requires the efforts of so many different people, uh, you know, including Peter Peter Morin and including uh, the folks at the L.A. House, and there's a house here in Santa Ana and so forth. Right. It, it is the collective effort, and she certainly could not have done the work that she did without those volunteers and people who had the same ideas, and she was able to put them all together either in her paper or in her works of mercy, her hands-on her opening her door, her heart, you know, it, she, she gave fully of herself at, at a price. You know, she had a daughter, and she was a writer. She had other aspirations. She wanted to be a writer. She wanted to have a large family. But, you know, things turned turn around a little bit differently. And, 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 indeed, she is a great writer. They, they you know, many of her, uh, her friends and followers believed her to be a great spiritual writer uh, of the 20th century. So... And, you know, all these folks that she saved or rescued from, you know, a life worse than death were her family and her children. So she did have a family, and, and, she, did ha and she had her children's, her daughter's children, and she had a full life. But she, didn't, she couldn't have done it without all of them helping her. And, um, and that's why it is, it's still going on today, because it wasn't just her idea. It was, you know, based in... You know, I guess Christian historical Christian teachings that you open your your house for those that have no 
place to rest their head. The film is Dorothy Day, Don't Call Me a Saint, and I should let listeners know that they could uh, access the webpage at dorothydaydoc.com. Uh, how has the film been received by audiences, and where has it been shown? Well, we, we um, went to Tribeca Film Festival in New York a couple years ago, and that was where she premiered, and that we had five screenings to packed houses, and, and Q&As were lively, and uh, from that spawned several other sort of peace festivals and, and colleges and universities and grammar schools. Uh, people are um, asking for it in libraries, and I get wonderful, wonderful uh, touching letters of, from folks and kids alike that people that knew her had never met her. Um, had uh, are, were studying her, and uh, now they get to actually see her and hear her voice, and so those those you know those kinds of uh, things really touched me because I didn't anticipate that how important it would be to hear her voice. They you know they read her words, but but hearing her speak them um, puts it into a different context. Well, and it does make her human. You know, when you get to hear someone's voice and see them, it 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 takes away the, the, the mythology, in a sense, and, and kind of makes the person more real and more tangible and, right. and more fallible, which I think right. is important, too, and which is, you know, uh, a, a key aspect of, of the film to, to get across. So in the time we have left, what is the one message you'd like people to take away from your film? Oh, gee. Well, I, it, it just begin, whatever the endeavor. Just try it. She, she would... She would be most encouraging of people to just begin, and she would also. And this is something that that I certainly had to do because I didn't know what I was doing, and I did listen to her. <laughs> and uh, she also would say, um, "Detach from outcomes," because uh, if you if you put too much emphasis on how it's going to turn out, you may not begin. So it it is staying in the moment, being brave, brave enough to take it on when you know certain things. Perhaps if you have to stand up for something that's right or step in when something is not right, to speak out um, graciously with dignity, to treat others with dignity, just that ba- the basics, those basic fundamental human- humanitarian um, aspects to looking at this life, this planet, taking care of each other and, and taking care of the earth and um, using you know, some common sense along the way and doing the best you can. That's all you can do. And what can uh, we look forward to in uh, the second part of the, the documentary? Well, it'll be interviews that you have not seen, because as I said, I could not just slam these big, huge ideas out of left field into it, uh, and it would take you out of the film. So uh, the, some of the interviews will, um, will be in their entirety, and some that were, were not even uh, represented. There'll be images and photographs not used that her daughter, Tamar, gave me letters, uh, fabulous quotes. Um, it won't be a film, per se, but I, I want to trick it out so it's engaging. And uh, uh, it's, again, a more of an oral history. Uh, so people can, if they pick out something that they really liked about uh, Dorothy or a topic or an issue, then in the, in the uh, part two, they can hear how it evolved, how it developed. And there'll be several other very you know, big, important ideas to the movement that will be addressed. And in the meantime, if listeners want to uh, find out where they could get a copy of uh, Dorothy Day, Don't Call Me a Saint, or find out about 
how to arrange a screening or a Q&A, where could they turn? Well, they can call me directly. A lot of people uh, are not Internet savvy, so they can have my telephone number. Do you want me to give you that? Please. 323-666-7800 or go to my website, dorothydaydoc.com. And you could also log on to KUCITalk.org, and we should have a link to uh, the webpage for those who are Internet savvy uh, later in the afternoon. Uh, the film, again, Dorothy Day, Don't Call Me a Saint. And uh, Claudia Larson, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning, and congratulations on uh, uh, a terrific, terrific endeavor that, uh, that you partook of uh, 14 years ago. Right. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jared. This was great fun. Thank you, and take care. Okay, Jared. Same to you. Bye-bye. And we will be back after this musical break.